Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Welcome, and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most heinous, the most gruesome, the most bizarre homicide cases in Maryland are examined and profiled. This season, season four, notorious murder suicide cases are discussed, they're talked about, and they're profiled and examined. On this episode, the murder-suicide case of Christopher Lee Robinson is profiled, and as in each episode, an unsolved homicide in Maryland will be profiled, and on this episode, the unsolved shooting murder of 29-year-old Allison Hinn is examined. Now, as I mentioned, this season, season four, the focus is on murder-suicides and murder-suicide cases. And, and so far, the murder-suicide cases that I have profiled, the reasoning and the motives for the murders and suicides, they have ranged from killers having traces of mental illnesses to excuses of, I can't live with myself because of what I've done. In most murder-suicide cases, the motive or reasoning in why a murderer kills, then kills themselves, it's a classic one. Some people, they just cannot simply take, they can't handle the pain of heartache. They can't handle the pain of rejection. I mean, a man and woman meet, they like each other, then one day they don't like each other, or worse yet, one likes the other person and the other person doesn't like them back. The relationship ends and the woman or the girl or the man, they don't wanna be with them anymore. It can get ugly and the man can handle, they can't handle rejection, they can't handle the pain of missing somebody, they, they can't stand the idea of their ex moving on, it results into something like a scene out of a nightmare, they, they can't take the pain, only it's, it's not a dream, it, it's, it's real life, it's, it's reality and it, it happens all the time. In the murder-suicide case of Christopher Lee Robinson, a grown man, a well-respected man, a man with a, no history of mental illness, nothing in his past to alert how he was, he decided one day that he simply just couldn't handle his ex moving on. He just couldn't take her being happy with another man. 37-year-old Christopher Lee Robinson, he grew up in the blue-collar Hollington Hollandtown area of Northwest Baltimore City. After he graduated from Archbishop Curley High School, which is like a Roman Catholic high school for boys, when he graduated in 1994, Christopher joined the military. He enlisted into the Marines and he was deployed in Okinawa, Japan. During his tours of duty, he met then President Bill Clinton while working on Air Force One. Eventually, he left the Marines after he was promoted to sergeant. Later, he re-enlisted 
in the reserves. And other than the military, Christopher had a passion and a love for flying helicopters. And in 2009, he joined the Baltimore Police Department, hoping that he would be working in the helicopter unit, flying helicopters, which was his passion. That dream didn't work. It didn't pan out. And Christopher was assigned to the Eastern District as a police officer, as a regular patrol officer, after he graduated from the police academy in 2010. Christopher made his home in a two-story Glenview Terrace in Glenview apartment in Abington. During his career as a police officer, Christopher met 26-year-old Marie Leanne Edith Hartman. Marie lived in the 500 block of Dogwood Drive, Southwest in Glen Burnie, and she was the mother of a six-year-old boy. Although she made a living as a project manager at a construction firm, she had big, big dreams of becoming a police officer. Maybe that dream of law enforcement is what attracted her to Christopher. Either way, the relationship didn't work out, and Marie took the steps of moving on with her life, and she ended the relationship. But Christopher couldn't handle it. He couldn't have it. He could not take the rejection, and he stayed bitter, and he stayed angry, and he stayed depressed, all of this over the breakup. Meanwhile, Marie moved on, and she started dating 27-year-old Andrew Hoffman. Now, Andrew was a third-generation member of the Baltimore City Fire Department and a paramedic. His grandfather was a fireman, his father was a fireman, and now here he was following in their footsteps. Andrew was born in Annapolis and raised in Glen Burnie. He graduated from the Baltimore City Fire Academy class 19 in 2004 and quickly rose to the ranks and made a name for himself at the fire station. In 2010, he received the Chief Thomas Burke Courage Medal for his heroic and brave actions in rescuing and saving a man who had been in a row house house fire on Gilmore Street. In July 23, 2013, Andrew was featured and profiled on the news after he saw a toddler walking, wandering around on busy-ass Hammonds Ferry Road in Lenticum about 3.15 in the morning. The kid had just walked out of his house in the middle of the night and just decided to take a stroll at 3.4 in the morning. Andrew couldn't believe what he was seeing. He was like, what? So he pulled over, he called the police, he talked with the kid as best as he could and found out where the kid had lived, which was about a mile up the street. Because of his assistance, his Andrew's compassion, and his swift actions in handling this situation that could have been dangerous, you know, it could have been a catastrophe, Andrew received a, an award honoring his actions. Andrew reportedly loved and adored kids, so what he did was just like second nature him, second nature to him. He lived his life to the fullest. Andrew was happy, he was full of life, and he was living out his dreams as a firefighter. Andrew had only dated Marie a very short time before Christopher made his presence known. Maybe Christopher was just too controlling. Maybe he was mentally ill and just hadn't been diagnosed yet. Or maybe it was the fact that he, 
Christopher reportedly was already married. Who knows? Either way, on Sunday, October the 27th, 2013, during the early morning hours around 1.30 a.m., Anne Arundel County Police responded to Andrew's home in the 1100 block of Armistead Street in Glen Burnie to reports of gunfire. And when they arrived at the home, they had to break the door in to get in because nobody answered when they knocked. And once they did, they found Christopher, Andrew, and Marie all shot dead. With all three pronounced dead at the scene, Marie's sister, who had been in the home but had managed to hide in the closet and jump out a window when the shooting started, she told the police and investigators that apparently Christopher had followed his ex-girlfriend over to where her new boyfriend's place was and confronted them both. Christopher wasn't on duty at the time, he wasn't in uniform, and he didn't use a service weapon. It wasn't like he just zapped out and snapped either. I mean, Marie had reportedly broken up with Christopher only three short months before he lost his mind and decided that he just couldn't live without his ex-girlfriend and he couldn't stand to see her happy with somebody else. Seems like Andrew was just a casualty that got caught in the way. When Christopher's brother heard about the shooting, he simply couldn't believe it. He saw no signs at all that his brother was a loose cannon. I mean, he was he, he was a military man. He was trained a, a four-year trained veteran of the Baltimore Police Department. Surely, he can handle a simple breakup. I mean, it wasn't like they was even married. Christopher's brother made a comment to the Baltimore Sun that said, he asked me two weeks ago for advice. I told him to leave her because she didn't want anything to do with him anymore. I don't know what happened last night, but the person that pulled that trigger wasn't the Christopher that I know. They told me this morning, and I didn't believe it. I lost a brother and I lost a friend. It's just crazy. I understand that he's the bad guy in this situation, but he wasn't the bad guy. It's just unfortunate and very senseless. He told reporters that his brother just couldn't move on. He just couldn't get past the fact that Marie wanted to move on with her life without him in it. For some people, that rejection can be brutal. That shit can be a bitch, and that shit hit him like a ton of bricks. Christopher's brother told reporters that Christopher just couldn't stop texting Marie. He just couldn't stop sending her flowers. He just couldn't stop calling her, couldn't stop trying to get back with her, and he lost it. I mean... Y'all need to move on. When somebody says no, they mean no. I mean, damn. He just couldn't take it anymore. Andrew died trying to protect Marie, according to her sister, who hid in the closet. His family released a statement that read, Our hearts are absolutely broken over the loss of our son, our brother, grandson, and uncle. Our beloved Andy dedicated his life to protecting and sharing others within the Baltimore City Fire Department and as a firefighter and a paramedic. We have come to learn that he died doing the same thing, putting others first. The only survivor of this horrific tragedy told us that Andy tried to protect her and more because of that, he became the first victim. 
we have lost someone who meant so much to us and so many family members and friends. It's hard to imagine going forward without him, but we know Andy died a hero. And Marie's mother added, putting his life on the line for my daughter, he was a hero, even off duty. Marie's friend told the press, Marie was an excellent mother. She was a beautiful girl. She was kind and caring and loving, and she would help anybody. The sad part is a cop killed her, and all she wanted was to be a cop. And her grandmother told reporters, she was just happy-go-lucky. No matter what you asked her, she was always smiling and happy about it. She had broken it off completely with Christopher, and she didn't want nothing to do with him. Now, before I say why this crime was notorious in murder in Maryland, I gotta release the national, and since this season we're talking about suicides and stuff like that, for anybody that's listening or whatever, if you want, if, if you're feeling overwhelmed, like if you're feeling like you can't take it anymore, you're feeling like there's, you know, a better place and you want to leave earth and suicide is the answer, you want to take yourself out, you never know. I mean, maybe you just need to talk to somebody. I mean, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, it's, it's available 24 hours a day. That number is 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-784-2433. And it, it's, it's, you can also, it has a website too where it's the National Suicide Prevention website where, you know, if you really, like I said, if you're feeling overwhelmed, you feel like you can't take it anymore, you're feeling stressed, give them a call and see if they can help you out. I mean, sometimes you just need to talk to somebody. Um, now, this crime was notorious in Maryland because, first again, I don't know what it is about police officers and cops, but either they can't take rejection or it just seems like the propensity for suicide is higher among police officers or whatever, but it was notorious because he was a police, can't handle his emotions. You would think that it would have been some history behind um, his actions, some sort of history of mental illness or something, but no was nothing there. He just could not take the fact that a chick did not want him anymore and started dating somebody else. And this was somebody that had a badge, had a gun, was in the military, could not take rejection. And um, it was notorious because the victim that he shot was a firefighter. This wasn't just, you know, an ex-boyfriend or he seemed like Andrew was just caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. It seemed like he was, you know, uh, witnesses said that he was protecting Marie um, and he was defending her and he lost his life because of that. Uh, a man who did nothing wrong, a well-respected individual, third-generation fireman, caught in the crossfire. Um, this man, Christopher, had a gun, a badge and a gun. He could not control his emotions. He had all of this, you know, going for him. But you couldn't take rejection from a female? I mean, honestly, really? So, I'm, I'm kind of leery about his actions as a police officer, to tell you the truth. If you couldn't just take rejection and, you know, that made you commit suicide and made you commit a double murder and then suicide, I mean, maybe there should be more extensive mental evaluations given to police officers and for people in the military. Um, how in the world did he even end up police, end up a cop? 
You know, how did he even pass the psychological evaluation if you can't take something as simple as a rejection? I mean, it's questionable to me. I mean, there. What was the extent? What was the extent of the mental evaluation that police officers received, or people that enter into the military? Do they receive some type of mental evaluation, some type of mental training to find out if there are any loose, any screws loose before we hand you a badge and a gun? You know, that's just weird to me. His sister, I mean, uh, Marie's sister, who was there, I can't even imagine the turmoil and the trauma and, and the pain that she went through to witness something like this and to have to escape out of a window. You know, that's something that people will live with for the rest of their lives. And she's an, she's considered a victim as well to have to go through to witness something like this. I would be reliving that every day if that was me. You know, her sister will forever be traumatized because of that. It's like, why is rejection so hard for some people? You know, maybe you should just look at it as though if I'm being rejected by this person, if this person doesn't want me anymore, that's actually a positive thing. You know, they're letting you know ahead and ahead of time and in advance before you waste any more time with them that you're not the one for me. You're not the one for me. Maybe you should have your, you should try to channel your emotions and your affections onto somebody else that wants it. Look at rejection that way versus, oh, they just don't want me. Maybe something is wrong with me and I can't take it. I can't live my life without this person. I mean, damn. So you want to go in and just take yourself out? It's just, I, I never could understand that. Um, there's a million, well, millions of people in this world. And if one person don't want you, trust me, there's somebody else out here who will. There's love for everybody. So, you know, once again, if people are feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling anxious, you feel like that, you know, maybe there's some other life form uh, outside of natural life and you want to enter that realm and you want to enter that journey and you feel like taking yourself out, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24 hours a day. That number is 1-800-SUICIDE. Or once again, that number is 1-800-784-2433. You know, the situation doesn't have to end up as tragic as it did with Christopher. Um, you never know. Maybe he could have found someone else or maybe he could have moved on with someone that was his soulmate. But now that those options are gone because he decided to take the other route. Now, every single episode, every single episode since this has premiered in August, every single episode I will premiere, I, an unsolved homicide has been premiered in Maryland. It's profiled and it's discussed. Um, it's the victims that I select are chosen randomly, except for the last season where all of the victims were transgender. It's every true crime podcaster's dream every single almost every single one to one day either assist in solving an unsolved homicide or if they focus on the criminal justice system the podcasters the host is the focus is maybe one day in assisting in exonerating a person 
or an inmate who has been wrongfully convicted. You know, we either want to solve a crime or find answers to a crime that looks questionable and hopefully, hopefully maybe exonerate somebody who's serving time for something that they didn't do. You know, from personal experience, I have an angle or my focus, my passion personally is on helping family members or helping friends find out who murdered their loved ones. So from a personal experience, I know what it feels like when it seems like you'll never know. It, it seems like you'll never find out who killed your mother, who killed your father, or who killed your child. It seems like every day you living in quicksand, sinking deeper, you know, into life because you can't move forward not knowing what happened. You know, finding out, it may seem like it's hopeless. It may seem like that the truth will never come out. It may seem like you'll never know. But guess what, man? I'm here to tell you it's not. I mean, clues can come from the most mundane, simple, ordinary types of sources. And it could be years. Anything is possible, y'all. Anything. Trust me what I'm telling you. Anything is possible. And every single victim deserves justice. I mean, I can't believe how many people think literally that they have the right to decide who the fuck lives and who the fuck dies. Like, somebody said that they were God and they were jury and I'm going to take this person's life because I don't think he need to be on this earth no more. Who gave you that right? People kill me with that. They kill me with that. Oh, this person, he was doing this or he was doing drugs or he did this to this person so he deserved... What? So, it, you're the, you're... You, you decided that you decided that you're going to be the judge to decide on whether or not a person can leave this earth or not. People, people kill me with that. So with that being said, this unsolved homicide, this episode's unsolved homicide, we're going to focus on the shooting death of 29 year old Allison Patricia Hen. Now, Allison did not have a good and easy life. This was not no cookie-cutter, Cosby show type of experience. Nothing to sugarcoat about her lifestyle. She was adopted at birth by a well-to-do, upper-class, middle-class parents. And her lifestyle, by all means, should have went well. You know, with her upbringing, it did nothing for her mental illness, though. She had, with frequent mood swings and behavior problems and issues and everything, by the time she turned 10 years old, her parents finally had a medical diagnosis for her. She was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, but Allison refused to take her prescribed medication because, you know, a lot of people that are diagnosed with bipolar, they don't like the way it makes them feel. But instead of choosing to take her medica medication, she chose to self-medicate with alcohol and other illegal substances. As a student at St. Ursula School, which is the private Catholic middle school, she started using drugs at Catholic school. Later, she enrolled at Lock Raven High School and, and she managed to graduate in 2006 all while using drugs. She tried, she tried her best, she did. She did enroll in cosmetology school after graduating, but eventually, like a lot of people growing up in Baltimore, she got addicted to heroin, and those dreams of doing hair or nails or whatever and all of that 
that went completely out the window. Severe drug addiction combined with severe mental illness led her to become homeless. Severe drug addiction led Allison to jail stints for drug possession. It led to extreme homelessness. It, it led to jail stints for uh, intents to distribute and her parents. What can they do? I mean, really. They wrote to her in those jails. They prayed for her. They put her in rehab for drug treatment. But each and every single time, Allison relapsed and went right back to the streets, right back to the drugs. She stayed homeless. She stayed on drugs. And she lived this lifestyle so much that her parents thought that that's how she was going to die. They thought that one day they would get that call that she had died from an overdose. They had convinced themselves, actually, that this was a call that they were going to receive eventually. And they were even prepared for it. You know, parents of addicts know that that's what they tell themselves all the time, that one day they'll get that call. That's what, that's the call, that's the kind of call that they were prepared for. That their daughter had died from a drug, drug overdose. What they were not prepared for is the call that they got telling them that Allison had been murdered. On Monday, June 11th, 2018, at around 10.07 p.m., 29-year-old Allison was found shot in the 4800 block of Pimlico in the Park Heights area of Northwest Baltimore City. Baltimore City Police responded to reports of a body and Allison was found lying in a grassy field on Pimlico Road right near an elementary school. She had been shot once under her eye. Allison was rushed to Sinai Hospital, but she was pronounced dead shortly after. In just 12 days, Allison would have lived to see her 30th birthday. Sometimes that's a turning point for some women, you know. I mean, you never know. She could have changed her life around. So what? She had a, a lifestyle, a history of addiction. You never know. Sometimes people change. Drug addict or not, Allison's murder crushed her parents. Her mother told reporters in a statement, we would not have been surprised by an overdose. They said that the last time they had seen their daughter was a few weeks earlier on Memorial Day weekend. Her mother said Allison said she was sorry for relapsing. She said she wasn't ready to go back into drug treatment and she didn't want to come back, back home or visit them because she didn't want to burden them or bring her drug addiction issues on them or bring any of her problems back to their home. Her mother continued with reporters. She didn't want to torture us anymore, but she basically knew when push came to shove, we had her back. No matter what she'd done, what she did, she knew she knew where we were. As you can see, we love her very much. We know what she turned into and what her issues were and how she made her money, but we told her we'd never give up on her. Her parents said that Allison was always homeless. Basically, she slept on the streets or the sidewalk and she always carried her stuff around in several bags and she was constantly, constantly in and out of jail. What surprised them is that she was found with a cell phone on her. 
a phone that they didn't have the number to and a phone that they never received a call from. At any rate, Baltimore City is Baltimore City and Allison was just one of three three women that were shot and killed within just a 13-hour time span. And the police, the investigators, they have absolutely nothing, no clues, and they need your help. And they cannot do it all themselves. And Allison's family deserves justice. They deserve answers. So come on, people. I know y'all know something. Do the right thing. Clear your conscience and give this family some peace, especially up in that Park Heights area. There's everybody is always outside. I mean, I know y'all saw something. If anyone has any information at all, no matter how trivial or simple you may think it is, please call Cold Case Detectives at 410-396-2100. You can also call them at 1-866-7-LOCKUP. You can send a text to 443-902-4824. Or you can even email them at homicide tips with an S at baltimorepolice.org. Once again, those numbers are Cold Case Detectives 410 396 2100. You can also call them at 1 7 Lockup, which is Metro Crime Stoppers. You can also send a text message to 443 902 4824. You can email them at homicide tips with an S at baltimorepolice.org. Guess what, people? You can remain anonymous, and there is a $2,000 reward for any information that can lead up to an arrest in this particular case. Thank you for tuning in this week. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast for updates on future spine-tingling, hair-raising, bizarre episodes. Also, be sure to check out all of the true crime books that are related to this podcast, which are Marilyn's Most Notorious Murders, 1990-2008, Marilyn's Unsolved Homicides, Volume 1, Until I Get Caught, The True Story of a Serial Rapist in Baltimore, and the upcoming Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, 2009-2020. All of these books, as well as my local bestseller, Junkie, A True Baltimore Story, and Child of Baltimore, are all available on Amazon.com in paperback and as an ebook for your Kindle or other digital e-reader. Lastly, if you want to listen to other past episodes, check out the new website, www.mdsmostnotoriousmurders.com. Once again, that's www.marylandsmostnotoriousmurders, and Maryland spelled M-D-S, most notorious murders, with an S, dot com, where all of my past episodes from season one through now are all available for download. Be sure to tune in next week where another high-profile, another newsworthy homicide in Maryland will be discussed, it will be examined, and it will be profiled 
on Maryland's most notorious murders. This has been a real life production. Thank you.